You are holy, Lord. And today we worship you in spirit and in truth, but there is a day that is coming where we will worship you face to face. We long for that day. We hope for that day. We believe that that day is a true day that is coming one day in the future. We can't wait for that day. But today, we trust you. We look to you. We thank you that we don't have to guess about what it is that you want to tell us today. We get to open your word, the Holy Scriptures, and hear your voice written on pages with ink. But we also recognize that there's been no greater way than you've spoken to us than through your son, Jesus. So we ask, would you allow us to see Jesus from the pages of the scriptures today? Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things out of your law as we continue to worship you, as our hearts receive and believe and obey the truth. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you right now to open in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. And I'll ask you also to do something else, uh, to multitask as it were. If you've not received our communion elements, we're going to take the Lord's Supper here today. Go ahead, feel free. You can stand up, walk to your right. We've got more uh, cups and wafers there for you. So don't be embarrassed. We invite you. We want you to take part in that. So you can go to your right and grab that as we get prepared to read the scriptures together this morning. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 30. And as you're getting those elements, for those of you that are prepared, you could follow along as I read aloud. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 30 says this. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as, as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. 
But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Praise God for the word of the Lord this morning. We're continuing on in our series in Acts, and actually today we're going to finish up this little series called On the Move. On the Move. We've been seeing that Jesus has been on the move. You know, we, we paused a little bit for the Christmas season and to start out the year in January, but when we ended in our section in Acts uh, back in November, we, we saw that the church was growing, persecution had started, stopped, excuse me, persecution had stopped for a little bit of a time, and you'd almost kind of get the feeling that the apostles were going to put up their feet and say, wow, I, I guess we did it. <laughs> we, we made disciples of, of these peoples that, that were here in Jerusalem and in the surrounding region, but, but Jesus said, no, I'm not done working yet. I'm on the move. And we saw Jesus on the move by healing people as Peter got to approach a a lame man and also someone who had died. And and Jesus raised that person from the dead. Last week we saw Peter enter into a a Gentile's home, a Roman centurion's home, which at that time for a Jewish person to go into a place that was considered defiled was very, very provocative. But yet Peter went in there according to the command of the Lord and the Lord taught him a very important lesson. That the gospel goes to all because Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord not just of the Jews, he's also the Lord of the Gentiles. And so he was teaching Peter, whatever I've called clean, now you can't call defiled or common. I'm coming in here and I'm telling you that these Gentiles can receive the Holy Spirit just as you have Peter. We see that Jesus is on the move. Now as we think about being on the move, I'm sure many of you, maybe all of you have traveled by plane, right? Think about some of those flights that you've taken. Some of them have probably been good. Some of them possibly have been bad. Just a few weeks ago was my most recent flight, coming back from Sarasota, Florida. And after a long flight, for me, now you may have different experiences. Maybe you've had your flights canceled or postponed and you've had to rebook and all that stuff. And that sounds like an absolute nightmare. But for me, for me, the worst part of traveling by plane is that moment when the plane lands and you get right up to the gate And then you're so excited to get off that plane, get out of that little crowded cabin, right? You've been sitting next to this person that you've never met before in your life, and you've learned some of the habits that they have that you would never want to learn about anybody else, right? And you spend all this time on there, and you're so excited, and then what do you do? You sit there, stand there, and you wait. It feels like the longest wait of all eternity. And I don't know about you, but I start to have this conversation in my own mind. When will these people start moving? 
What's going on up there? And I start peeking around the seats and around people's heads. Is anybody getting off the plane yet? What is taking everybody so long? I don't know. Perhaps you're way more patient than me, but this drives me up the wall. And I'm asking the Lord, Lord, I need to learn patience right now because I want to be on the move. I want to get out of this airplane and get out of the airport and get on with my life. Have you felt that before, right? You feel that moment, I can't wait to be on the move. And you feel like, why are these people resisting moving? Come on, get your suitcase and get out. Let's go. Let's move. Sometimes I feel like people are hesitant. In fact, there was somebody that was even worse than me last time. Once the plane landed and we uh, got off to the gate, somebody from the back of the plane, they just decided to start walking up. And they got so far as about midway through the plane and then they realized they couldn't go any farther. Like, wow, she's really bold. She's taking it on herself to get off this plane. But you feel that, being on the move. You can't wait to get on the move once you're stuck in a spot and you want to get going. You feel that resistance. You feel that hesitancy. And it's like, let's get things going. Maybe it's when you've sat in traffic. You just can't wait to get on the move. But think about this. What about Jesus being on the move in your life? The things that, the things that he wants to do in your life, the things that you feel like you see in your own life. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in a a big decision. Maybe it's literally in a move somewhere. Somewhere that's adventurous or maybe somewhere that's uncomfortable. And you feel that resistance in your own heart. That hesitancy. Am I ready to move where Jesus wants me to move? That's what we see here this morning in this passage. We see several moments where you see resistance and even hesitancy to the move of Jesus in, his wor- in the world for his purposes. And you could see it from the, the, the religious leaders. You could, see it from, you could see it even from the apostles themselves. They're a little hesitant. They're not quite sure. Is this gospel really ready to move out? Is Jesus really calling us to these uncomfortable spaces? They would have never imagined it. Sorry, I got a hair, probably my wife's hair. <laughs> it was floating and distracting me. I praise God for my wife. She's got beautiful hair but I had to get it off my shirt there. Here's our big idea this morning. Though we may be hesitant or even resistant to it, God is on the move to accomplish His purposes in the world. Though we may be a little bit tentative, though we may not feel quite comfortable yet to take that step of faith in the direction that Jesus wants us to go, He'll show us that He's on the move in spite of us, to accomplish His purposes. So even even when we may feel like I'm not quite ready to go to that space just yet, God is on the move in invisible ways, in even mysterious ways to do the things that He wants to get done with or without us. And friends, this is an act of grace on His part to keep moving even when we feel resistant, even when we are hesitant. Well, let's take a look at this. How, How does this flesh out in in our passage here this morning. Let's unpack it together. First of all, we see Peter's report of God's power. We see his report that uh, that his power, God's power, it melts the wills of the resistant. 
Peter's report of God's power melts the wills of the resistant. We see that in verses 1 through 18. Verse 2, it says that there's a group of people about hearing that Peter had gone to this Gentile's house, to this Roman centurion's house, and, and they're like, hold on, wait a minute, what's this apostle doing? What's this disciple doing? What's this good Jewish boy doing going into a Gentile's house? And it says that this people of the circumcision party, verse 2, it literally it means these people of the circumcision. Now, all Jews are circumcised, so we're not talking about just a group of Jews that are circumcised, but a group of people, a group of Jewish believers in Jesus who held on to the beliefs and practices of Judaism. They emphasized the need for people, all people, to continue to adhere to the requirements of the law in addition to their allegiance to Jesus by faith and repentance. And so these, this group within the church is called the circumcision party because they would go on in later circumstances to teach that Gentiles could only truly be right before God and welcome into his community if they received the right of circumcision and if they agreed to obey the law of Moses. In essence, they were saying you had to become a Jew in order to truly be a follower of Jesus. And in verse 3, they bring this accusation against Peter. They say, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Don't you know that they have to go through some hoops? Don't you know that they have to become like us so that they're no longer defiled before you could go and meet with them? They couldn't see any way that Jewish believers could have table fellowship with defiled Gentiles. And in, in fact, Peter even reflects himself this, this same attitude. Back in the story that we saw last week of Peter with Cornelius, he, he comes into the house in Acts 10, 28, and he says to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. So we see that even Peter had this perspective at one time. And what does Peter do? How does Peter uh, respond to this accusation? Does he start to say, well, hold on, guys. I mean, you know, they aren't that bad. Or, you know, hey, guys, I had a good, I had a good motive. I, I went in there with the best of intentions. No, verse 4 says that Peter began and explained it to the, these people who are raising this accusation, and he explains it to them in order. No self-defense. He declares what God did, not what he did. He said, hey, look, guys, I know it may sound strange, but I want to let you know that God was on the move. And we see him on the move in four ways that Peter refers to. He says, first of all, I had a vision. I had a vision. I saw that, that God showed me in this vision, in this trance, that this sheet came down with all kinds of animals in it. And, and I heard this voice from heaven inviting me to kill these unclean uh, animals according to Jewish customs and, and, and biblical law and, and to, to, to kill and to eat. And I said, Lord, I could never do that, if you remember last week. And we saw Peter rehearse it right here. And, and God tells Peter, hey, look, whatever I've declared clean, do not call common. And so the conclusion that Peter has, according to this vision, is that, hey, if God's made it clean, how could I call it defiled or common? Well, not only did Peter have this vision, he also refers back to the fact that the Spirit, right after this vision, instructed Peter to go with the men sent from Caesarea. And, and the Spirit says, I want you to make no distinction, Peter. I, I don't want you to argue with me about this. In fact, the same word that Luke uses here when Peter's describing this, this make no distinction, it's the same word that, that he used to describe the criticism from the circumcision party. He said, we don't think that you should do this. We disagree with you. And so, in essence, God is, is telling Peter, don't argue with me about this. I'm telling you to go with them. Peter had a vision. Peter heard the word of the Spirit. 
And then as he gets to Cornelius' house, he hears that an angel was sent from God to speak to Cornelius and instruct him to send for Peter, someone he had never met before. And he said, I want you to go find this Simon who's called Peter, and I want you to get some people to bring him here to me. Peter is, he's saying, guys, look, God is on the move. I had this vision. The Spirit spoke to me. Not only that, an angel appeared to Peter, and then finally, and this is, this is kind of the seal of the deal here, in verses 15 to 16, Peter says, the Spirit fell on them. The Spirit fell on Cornelius. The Spirit fell on his household, and it was poured out on his entire family as they received the gospel message as I was delivering it. Guys, what Peter's saying, he's saying, guys, I I want you to see something here. You could bring this accusation against me, but really, the person you need to bring it up with is not me, but God. God was the one who was on the move. We have to be convinced as God's people to say, I know I'm moving in the right direction that God wants me to go. We seek His wisdom, not human wisdom. And that's what Peter was doing. Peter made his case. And in verse 17, I love what it says here. What else could we conclude, verse 17? Who was I to stand in God's way? Who was I to stand in God's way? Guys, you want to accuse me of hanging out with Gentiles and now I'm a defiled Jewish boy? I want to tell you right here, it was God who was on the move, not Peter. I was simply just answering the call. God was on the move and He poured out the Spirit on these Gentiles. I love the, the response here in verse 18. I, I mean, I can just imagine being in the room there with him. What does it say in verse 18? When they heard these things, they fell silent. Mic drop, right? Mic drop. Peter's walking around. He's like, guys, what else, what else could I do? What, you, you're telling me I should have disagreed with God and not obeyed his command? Mic drop. They, they fall silent. I could imagine them just sitting there like, that's amazing. What else could we do? It's obvious that God was on the move. The entire group who heard the accusation against Peter had no remaining arguments. They fell silent. Their hearts melted in response to the demonstration of God's power that could not be denied. This group that came against Peter, they were resistant. They were resistant to how Jesus was at work. But as they saw God's power, their wills just kind of melted and they realized how could we stand against God Peter it doesn't make any sense to us we would have never made that choice but but we're with you God was in this Jesus was on the move well we see Peter report of God's power how it melted the wills of the resistant but not only that In our next section, in verses 19 to 26 of chapter 11, we see that Barnabas then goes to another group of Gentiles, and he witnesses God's grace, and it eases the fears of the hesitant. Barnabas' witness of God's grace eases the fears of the hesitant. It says in verse 19 that uh, those who had, had gone about had been scattered because of the persecution of Stephen. There were some believers in Jesus that were scattered away from Jerusalem, after, after Stephen, if you remember that. Anybody remember Stephen's stoning? What, what a story that was. Stephen saw heaven opened up, and it was absolutely amazing. I, I was in awe just even studying that a few months ago as we shared that. But, but it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that as the result of that persecution, it says Saul approved of, of Stephen's execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. 
So now we're catching up with these people. What happened to those people? They were scattered outside Jerusalem. They couldn't stay because it wasn't safe. They were going to be killed. The apostles said, hey, guys, you guys just just go. We're going to stay. You go. And what did they do? Well, that was kind of a fun journey, right? That was fun. We got to hear about this Jesus guy. Now let's get back to life. No. As they moved, Jesus was on the move as well. They were scattered. And, And what did they do? They proclaimed the good news of Jesus. They went to Phoenicia. That's on the coast of the Mediterranean. They went to Cyprus. It's an island in the Mediterranean. By the way, fun little trivia fact, the capital of Cyprus is Nicosia. That's my last name. Isn't that crazy? I don't know anybody there, but it's the capital of Cyprus. And so they came from Cyprus. Maybe some Nicosias went there and and proclaimed the gospel. I don't know. And they also went to this this city called Antioch. And we're going to take a look at that here just for a few minutes. It's a major port city, or it's a major city. It's not a port city, but it's not far from the coast. It was established during the Greek and Roman empires. It was a major connecting point on the trade routes in the Middle East. It was the third largest city in the Greco-Roman world. I mean, kind of an important city, right? We live next to an important city. Think about all the the traffic, all the communication, all the information, all the ideas, all the conversations, all that just kind of converges on this region. You know, I've only been here about nine months now, and it's just amazing to me just to see the groups of people that all flood through our city that's, that's close to us here in Washington, D.C. And, and in Northern Virginia. And, and you can kind of imagine, that's what Antioch's like. It's a huge city for that time. And people are coming in from all over the world to, to be there as they trade and exchange ideas. But as these guys that fled the persecution that was in Jerusalem, they come to Antioch and, and, and it says that they preached initially to no one but the Jews. They went to the Jews. And they said, hey, we want to let you know, we know who your Messiah is, our Messiah. It's Jesus the Lord. He, he lived a sinless life. He died on a cross, and then he rose from the dead. He is to be received as Messiah and Lord. And, and there were some of those Jews in Antioch that believed the message and became followers of Jesus. But it says in verse 20, some of those broke away from just speaking to Jews, and it says that they spoke to Hellenists. These were Greek speakers, likely Gentiles in Antioch, Greek speakers, Gentiles. And so they did something a little bit provocative, a little bit uh, pushing the boundary. They're like, you know, I think God is on the move here. If these guys are willing to listen to us, even if they're uncircumcised Gentiles, I think they need to hear the good news of Jesus. And what happens? Verse 21 says, a great number of them, these Gentiles, they believed and they turned to the Lord, just like we saw with Cornelius. Separately, though likely soon after, other Gentiles were welcomed into the fold of God's people, and they became the church at Antioch. Amazing. Now we have two churches, as we see in verse 22. We've got the church in Jerusalem, consisting of almost all Jewish believers. And in Antioch, we've got Jewish and Gentile believers together. God is on the move, friends. God is on the move. He takes peoples that would never, ever be together, and he brings them together through the good news about Jesus Christ. I don't care what kind of social justice cause you have in this world. I'm for so many of them. But my friends, I'm telling you here today, according to the scriptures that we have here, nothing is more powerful than the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring people together. Praise God for that. And so we have here for the first time just this amazing community, not linked together by culture, not linked together by ethnicity, but linked together by allegiance to Jesus. Praise God for it. 
I'm so glad to be in a church, and I want to become more and more of a church together with you and us together, that we are linked not because we share a thousand things in common. We may root for different sports teams. We may come from different economic uh, backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, but what links us together, it's allegiance to Jesus, allegiance to Jesus. I hope that's what brought you here today. We're here in the name of Jesus. Now, the leaders in Jerusalem, I, I think they start to get a little antsy. They say, hey, what's going up on up there in Antioch? We're hearing news that, that people are turning to Jesus, and not just Jews, but, but Gentiles as well. What in the world is going on? We, we didn't lay hands on these people to receive the Spirit. We didn't preach to them. Uh, it's one thing that Peter reached Cornelius in Caesarea, but this spreading out is going, getting out of control. What are we going to do? We better send someone, and who do they send? A great candidate to go and check on what's happening, Barnabas. Acts 5.36 says that Barnabas was generous to believers in need. We've seen Barnabas before. Acts 9.27, uh, Barnabas was part of the, uh, he was the one that brought Saul, who was formerly a persecutor of, of the believers, and he said, I want you to forgive this man, and I want you to welcome Saul. Barnabas was a great person of encouragement, a great person who brought people together. And here we have Acts eleven twenty four. If there's if there's anybody that could do it, it's this Barnabas. He's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And what happens? Barnabas comes in, right? He's a good man who could go up there, and I'm sure he's like, man, I don't know how this is going to work out. Jews and Gentiles hanging out together, is this really going to work? And what happens? He shows up. He shows up, and when he saw the grace of God, he was glad. He was glad. This is amazing. Barnabas, I could just see this smile on his face and think, I could have never dreamed this in a million years. That the good news about Jesus that we're proclaiming, that we've been persecuted for back in Jerusalem, is bringing people together. This is amazing. I'm seeing God's grace. I'm seeing Him on the move. I'm seeing His grace so clearly on display. And it's easing all the fears that all my friends in Jerusalem have. This isn't... This isn't just some rogue movement by some rebellious people. This was the gracious hand of God on the move in ways that we could have never imagined. And so Barnabas instructs them. Uh, he doesn't say take the requirements of the law, but he instructs them and he says to these Gentile believers, remain faithful to the Lord. Don't give your allegiances to the pagan gods of the nations from which you came, but give your allegiance to Jesus. Remain steadfast in his purpose. Wow, this is amazing. Barnabas can't believe it. These people are coming together, but he realizes, I can't lead this group by myself. I'm going to go grab that guy that, that had to flee Jerusalem, Saul, because he was, uh, he was being hunted by the Jews. And so he brings Saul back in and he says, hey, I've got a place where you could teach and preach. You couldn't do it in Jerusalem, but come on in. What, a, what, a, what an amazing group of people. I, I wish we could just get a little video snippet. What did this look like? The awkwardness that just starts to melt away. The resistance and the, the violence and the anger that starts to just fade as the goodness of Jesus and the grace of God starts to come to the surface. And people come together that had never spent any time together before, all because of Jesus. And in verse 26, there's something that's stated here that I think Luke wants us to see that is significant. For the first time, these people were called Christians. Christians. Not Jews, not Gentiles, Christians. This literally means people belonging to Christ, the Messiah. 
These people were now considered and viewed and identified as Christ followers. And Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah they follow. These are the people of Jesus. They are known by Him, not known by their ethnicity. They're not known by their cultural background or their political views. No, they are Christians. They're known because of their devotion to Jesus. That was their identifier. Friend, it hurts my heart to know that the term Christian has been uh, sabotaged to mean so many other things in our culture, in our day and age. I hope it breaks your heart. It breaks my heart to know that when people hear the name Christian, they have all kinds of ideas, maybe bigotry, maybe hatred, maybe very stuffy and rigid and conservative. Oh, but to know the name Christian is to know the name Christ, to be known by the things he wants us to be known by, to be known as a people who love him and follow him and obey his commandments. Theologian Daryl Bach, he says the name is Christian is significant because it shows that it was the identification with Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah that people noticed. People called them Christians because I don't know if you're a Jew, I don't know if you're a Gentile, I don't know your background, but what I see in your life is that you're following this guy, Jesus, who you say is Messiah. You're known as a Christian. What are you known by? Think about all the titles that you have, all the different roles that you have. I, I'm Matthew, that's my name. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a son. My vocation is I'm a pastor. But I hope that as people know me, they know Matthew as he's a Christian. He's a Christian. He's identified with Jesus. How would people identify you? How would they identify you? Would they say, oh, He's on the move. He's, he's got big career plans. Oh, she's on the move. She's, she's getting an education and she's going to do big things with her life. Do they know him? Do they know her? Do they know you and me and us as Christians, Christ followers? What a great, great thing to be known by, even if it's used in a derogatory sense, which I think is maybe the case here in the book of Acts. Oh, those Christ followers, those Christ people, Christians. I hope that we'd be willing to say, yes, that's the best thing in all the world that I could be identified as. Someone who's identified with Jesus, my Lord. See that God was on the move. He formed a new community called Christians. Though the leaders in Jerusalem, they may have been initially hesitant or even resistant to the movement that they heard about, they could not deny that the power and grace of God were at work. And finally, we see in this passage that the gift from the Christians in Antioch reveals God's wisdom to accomplish His purposes. I don't have a lot of time to go over it, but we see this prophet in verses 27 to 28. And by the way, I know we're covering a lot in this story. This narrative is just packed with so many events, but we see this guy named Agabus. He comes down from Jerusalem and, and he speaks the word of God for, for the people, for the Christians there in Antioch. But, but in this case, he also foretells of what's going to happen. And he says, there's a famine that's going to come. We know that this famine likely happened between 44 to 48 AD. It impacted the entire empire, the Roman Empire. And so he puts this prophecy before them several years before so that they could get ready. And what do these Christians in Antioch do? I love this. The disciples, in verses 29 to 30, the, the Christians, Jew and Gentile believers in Antioch, they're determined to send a gift of financial support to the believers in Jerusalem. 
Do you see what's happening here? This is amazing, right? Wow, I mean, God's purpose, they're mysterious and amazing. God moved through Peter, through these disciples that were sent to Phoenicia and Cyprus and to Antioch. He moved to plant a church in Antioch. Why? Well, he got this group of people who were provocative for their day, these Christians, a a group of people consisting of Jews and Gentiles together who are allegiance to Jesus. And why did he assemble them? Well, we see it so that they could give relief back to the church in Jerusalem. The Antioch believers, they received the spiritual blessing of the gospel of Jesus through the witness of those who came to Jerusalem. And then the Jerusalem believers received the physical blessing of financial support through the generosity of the believers in Antioch. Do you see here, we don't have two churches. We have one church loving each other. Things that the apostles, I'm sure, would have never imagined could ever take place. Here now we're receiving the love and the care and the support of these Christians in Antioch. They're thinking of us. They love us. Don't they know how we've, we've talked about them before? Don't they know how Jews view Gentiles? Don't they know that we thought that we would be defiled if we entered their home and now they're sending relief to us? Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. He's on the move to do things we could never think imaginable. Amazing. I think there's a modern context for us. Let me just pause for a moment. This church in Antioch is today and and Antike, Ant- <laughs> couldn't say this, Antakya, Turkey. And if you've been following the news lately, this is actually one of the cities that's been completely leveled as a result of this 7.8 magnitude quake that hit. To think that 2,000 years ago, there was a group in this city that sits under this rubble now that supported Christians in Jerusalem that we're reading about here today. Oh, that God would be on the move once again for Antioch. Amen? To think about the believers that are there now. To think about how can Christians return that support that was given from Antioch thousands of years ago. Friends, it's amazing how God brings us together. We could be from different countries, we can be from different languages and cultures, but the thing that binds us together is that Jesus was on the move for you and for me. God was on the the move revealing his unsearchable wisdom to save both spiritually and physically his people. God is truly amazing. He's on the move for his people in the book of Acts. But friends, I want to ask, is God on the move for his people in Fairfax today? Is he on the move? I believe he moves even amidst our resistance. He calms our fears even when we feel hesitant. I think he's, he's bringing us to a space here very soon. Next, next week, I can't wait to share with you something that we're going to be doing together in the, in the month of March where we, we want to see Jesus on the move. I, I want you to start thinking about it even now. Who, who's one person in your life that you believe Lord Jesus, I want you to be on the move for this person. Spiritually, they're far away from you. Emotionally, they're they're hurting and they're in deep pain and brokenness. Maybe they're feeling the physical effects of living in a broken world. And you may be thinking to yourself, I wish Jesus would be on the move for him or her. Oh, that we could begin praying now 
We're going to be spending the month of March praying for at least one person for each of us that we want to see God on the move for in their lives. In their lives. Because if, if we don't believe that Jesus is on the move today like he was in the book of Acts, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? But praise be to God, Jesus is on the move. If you have a testimony of God in your life, how he's worked, you could say, I've seen Jesus on the move. I've seen Jesus on the move for my family. I can think back to some dark, dark days 20 plus years ago where I felt the effects of sin just breaking my family apart and it felt like God was so far away. And I remember my mother and I getting on our knees and calling out to God and what did we see? Jesus was still on the move. He was on the move in ways that I had no idea I would even see 20 plus years later. Friends, Jesus is on the move for you and for me, even if we resist it, even if we're hesitant to do it. Jesus is on the move to accomplish his purposes in the world. So what do we learn from this account of God on the move? First thing that we could learn, God doesn't need us to get his work done. (laughs) He doesn't need you and he doesn't need me to get his work done. He's doing fine just on his own, but we'll see that he loves to include us though. But God doesn't need us to get his work done. He didn't need to wait uh, for Peter. He, he, he wasn't stopped by the objection of the circumcision party that we saw in our passage today. The fact that Peter and Cornelius knew nothing of each other didn't keep God from bringing them together. The distance between Jerusalem and Judea and Antioch and Syria was not too far for God to move in through and for those churches. God doesn't need us to get his work done. Who can stand in God's way? Nobody. Nobody. Who can stop him? There was a king in in 2 Chronicles. His name was Jehoshaphat. And and there were a, a whole slew of armies that were coming together to try and wipe out the people of Israel. And Jehoshaphat knew our armies are no match for these armies that are coming against us. And he got really desperate. It's a wonderful story. You could read it. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. He says something here. He says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. But the reason that his eyes were on God was because of this. This is what Jehoshaphat says. It says in chapter uh, 20, verse 5 of 2 Chronicles, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem and the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none, none is able to withstand you. None is able to withstand you. Friends, God God doesn't need us to get his work done because nothing and no one can stand in his way when he wants to move. Praise God. Praise God. All of us are born in, in our trespasses and sins. We were all spiritually dead from birth. And God said, that's not too much for me to resist. Uh, to resist me, nothing can stop me. I want to save Matthew Nicosia. Praise God that he did. I'm so glad he saved you, friend. Nothing can stop him. He doesn't need us to get his work done. I love Daniel 4, 34 to 35. Uh, This king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, thought that he was hot stuff. He thought that he was the ruler of the planet and that no one could stand in his way. If he said it, it would get done. And, And God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. It says at the end of a time when Nebuchadnezzar, when he became like an animal to teach his lesson, he was eating grass and grew hair like fur like an animal. He's acting like an animal, the king of of all the empires of the world. God humbled him. 
And at the end of those days, Nebuchadnezzar says, I lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever for His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay His hand or say to Him, what have you done? You didn't answer to me. Nobody could say that. Not you, not me, not our mayor, not our governor, not the president of the United States, not the kings of foreign countries. None can stand in his way. God gets his work done with or without us. Praise be to God, the sovereign king of the universe. God is on the move in in ways we can't even see right now. And we could trust that he's powerful. We could rely on him that he's gracious. We can look to him and trust that he's wise in all that he does. So the first thing we learn from this story today is that God doesn't need us to get his work done. Secondly, what we can look at is this. Our hesitation and our resistance to God's moving reveals that we think that we know better than him. When we feel those moments of hesitancy, when he wants to be on the move, when he is on the move, or that resistance, it just reveals to us that we think that we know better than him. Have you been there before? You, God, God is doing something in your life, and you're standing there going, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. You know, not, not to just keep using myself as an example, but I mean, last year, my family and I, we, we were at that space. I'll tell you, it was hard. A year ago, we started to have conversations with, with the elders here at Fairfax Bible Church and the search committee here. And, and as we started to talk about actually becoming a part of this local assembly and for me to take on the role as pastor here, like, it was hard. I mean, talk about a move. Move 3,000 miles away. Some of you have moved across the world several times. Some of you are thinking like, okay, big deal. You moved across the country. I, it was for us. It was hard. And you've had those moments too where you've thought to yourself, this, this move is going to be really hard. I, I don't know if I'm ready for Jesus to move me this way. I think it reveals that we just have those moments where we think we know better than God does for our lives. And we all have our reasons. We see it throughout Scripture. The, the, the Moses, he was hesitant to speak on God's behalf to Israel and to Pharaoh in Egypt. He didn't believe in God's power to speak through him. We see it also uh, that the people of Israel, after Moses led them out, they resisted God's instruction to take the promised land, and they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They didn't trust God's wisdom or power in sending them into the land. Jonah, we, we know the story of the prophet Jonah. Poor Jonah, he gets picked on so much, but he probably deserves it a little bit. Jonah resisted God's call to preach in Nineveh. He doubted and he even despised the grace of God to reach and transform the Assyrian people. Even the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they challenged his company because he was eating with tax collectors and sinners. They questioned Jesus' wisdom and they questioned Jesus' grace in eating with such sinners. We all have our reasons. What are your reasons in ignoring God's power? Why do you get to those moments where Jesus is on the move in your life and, and you start to doubt his grace? Is this really going to be good for me? Maybe you get to those moments and you question his wisdom. Lord, I, I don't think you know what you're doing here. This just makes no sense. Oh, friends, I think in those moments it's time to confess and say, Lord, I feel hesitant about this. I feel resistant about this, but you're way more powerful than me. 
I trust in your grace that the path you have for me is good, and I'm trusting in your wisdom that you know better than I ever could the steps that you want me to take. Thirdly, what we see from this story is this. Though God doesn't need us, look at point number one, though God doesn't need us, he invites us to join him on the move for our joy. He invites us to join him on the move for our joy. Friends, there's no better place to be than to know that you're right in the center of God's will for your life. To say he's, he's moving and I don't know what the next steps look like, but I'm going to take them in faith and in trust in God who moves for my good and for my joy and for his glory. I love what we read here in our passage here today. Barnabas, a little bit hesitant, not quite sure what's going on in this crazy church in Antioch where people are just coming to Jesus and they're all together. Is this, this is weird. I don't know what's going on. But it says, when Barnabas came and when he saw the grace of God, he was glad. He was glad. He rejoiced. Friends, you may be on the step, the threshold of God being on the move in your life. If you don't take that move, you're not going to get to see the joy that he has in store for you. The gladness that he wants to fill your heart with. And it may not be circumstantial gladness, but it may be gladness to say, I'm seeing the power of God on display. I'm seeing the grace of God manifested. I'm seeing the wisdom of God in ways that I could have never imagined. I am so glad I stepped into this move with Jesus. He's invited me in to give me joy in my heart to see him at work. I don't want to miss the joy. I don't think you want to miss that joy either. But that joy comes sometimes with a cost. It comes with a cost that might, might cause us to feel a little bit uncomfortable for a time. It may cause us to get into moments where we feel like we just can't quite manage or figure this out. And that choice comes to us. Am I going to stay put? And am I going to accept the invitation of Jesus to move in this moment? Oh, friends, I don't think you want to miss that joy. I don't want to miss that joy. In March and as we approach the Easter season, we're, we're going to challenge each other to get a little uncomfortable to love the ones in our lives, to reach that one that we want to see Jesus on the move for. Say, Lord, it may be uncomfortable, but I don't want to miss that joy. I'm willing to take that step as you invite me to move with you. In closing, and as we get ready for uh, communion here in just a moment, we want to ask, what does this mean for Monday? Well, wherever you are, whatever you're feeling today, wherever you're feeling the most resistance and hesitancy about your circumstances, that place, that space where you feel most uncomfortable may be the place where God is wanting you to move the most. The tighter the grip is on, on the control of your life, the harder it is going to feel to learn and, and let go and join God's movement. We, we hold on tightly to our choices, and, and Jesus is telling us to move, and the, the closer we hold it, the harder it is to let go. But, but think about Jesus in a moment where he was asked to move, and it was uncomfortable for him. Mark 14, 36, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knows he's about to be betrayed. He knows that he's about to be uh, hung on a cross by Roman soldiers, that he's about to be spat upon, falsely accused, and ultimately to be forsaken by the Father as he pays the penalty for our sins. And Jesus' prayer in Mark 14, 36 is this. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. 
And, and as we talk about this on the move, Jesus is saying, I, I don't think I want to be on the move in this way, Father. This is hard. This is uncomfortable. But what does Jesus do? He says, yet not what I will, but you will. He stepped in. He moved for you and for me. God may be moving you today to join him related to, to some of the things we talked about in January. Maybe it's your time. He's asking you to move to to devote some time, to free up some time, even for his purposes, serving, loving, hosting someone in your home. He may be moving in your life and you feel that resistance related to your talents. I'm already so busy at at work. I I, I already get paid to do all these other things. Do I have to do it here? Do I have to use it for his glory? Yes, he's asking you to, and it may feel uncomfortable, but the path to that is joy, friends. Joy. Not what I will, but you will. It may be related to your treasure. Maybe the budget's tight. Maybe the bills are piling up. And you think to yourself, how could I have the space to be generous? Jesus is pressing to say, will you be on the move with me? Oh, Lord, this is hard, but not what I will, but what you will. He may be calling uh, you to begin praying for opportunities to communicate and to demonstrate his good news with the one you're most hesitant or resistant to reach. Oh, not what I will, but what you will, Lord. Ask him, ask him, ask yourself, what do I feel hesitant, resistant about in my life? Examine your heart. How can I see God on the move in my life and in the lives of those around me? And I think it's time for all of us to repent too in those places that we feel resistant or hesitant about God being on the move. Stop resisting. Take just one step this week, just one step this week to join the movement of God in your world. Just one step. And then watch, watch him work in anticipation, live for Him, live for God, and live on on His movement in your world. He's at work if you would just stop and watch for Him. And so we're going to take communion together, and I want to invite the the worship team to come up as we close our service here today. And uh, all together, just go ahead and peel back and let that plastic just ring out together as we peel back the film here. We're going to take the bread and, and the juice together here in just a moment, but You know, we just saw the verse in in Mark 14, 36. Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. You see, these elements that we're about to partake here together, they represent that Jesus was on the move for you. You see, he could have stayed in heaven where he was and in the comfort of heaven overseeing all the plans of the earth, that, that he was the king and, of kings and lord of lords over all the kingdoms of the earth. But he said, I'm going to come down and to submit to kings. I'm going to put on human flesh. I'm going to take on the hurts and pains of sorrows of a humanity that's in desperate need of me. He moved for you. He moved for me. This, this bread represents the fact that God of all eternity put on human flesh and move to get close to you, to to actually put up a tent in your neighborhood and in my neighborhood for us. And not only did he move into our neighborhood, but he also came and he died the death that we deserved for our sins. And if you've received this this gift of eternal life that's offered through the body that Jesus offered and the, the blood that he shed for our sins, rising victoriously from the grave. We want to invite you to partake of this with us today. But I, I want to let you know here today, if you've never received eternal life in Jesus Christ, this is just bread. This is just juice. 
It, it won't do anything to get you any closer to heaven today than sitting in that chair. But if you believe in the one who was on the move for you, Jesus Christ our Lord, you can receive eternal life today. This one who felt the resistance and the hesitancy about being on the move and said, not what I will, Father, but let your will be done. So right now, I, I just want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And right now, we're going to take a little bit of inventory of our own hearts and just ask, where am I resistant to the move of God in my life? Where have I been hesitating to obey Him in ways that He's called me to obey? Confess that to Him today. Tell Him about it. Be specific. And then as you do that, I also want you to remember and say, but there was one who moved for me. Jesus Christ, my Lord. I receive him today. I receive his body. I receive his blood shed on my behalf. So I'll give you about a minute to spend some time with the Lord as you prepare to partake of this bread and juice. Father in heaven, we thank you that our Lord and Savior Jesus was on the move for us. We see him on the move in the book of Acts in ways that, that are absolutely amazing to see bringing, him bringing people together that never would have been together. And you brought this people here today at Fairfax Bible Church together because of Jesus. And it's not by our choice that we're here. In fact, all of us were resistant and hesitant to the call of God, but you came down and shined your, the glory of your light and of your power and of your wisdom and grace in our hearts. And you've allowed us to see Jesus who was on the move for us. The one who even on the night he was betrayed was in the garden and said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Remove it from me. But said, not what I will, but what you will, Father. Thank you so much that Jesus stepped in and he obeyed your call to move on our behalf. And we know from Hebrews 12 that he did that for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you gave us your body broken on our behalf. And you poured out your blood for the forgiveness of our sins so that today we can remember and celebrate the fact that you've given us eternal life. And that we could be on the move today, not to earn our favor before you, but because our favor has been earned by the one who was on the cross for us. And so we want to declare, we want to be a people on the move at Fairfax Bible Church. We want to be on the move today because you are on the move for us. We love you. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We celebrate you until the day you return through this ceremony here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You're invited to take the bread and the juice together.